I'll read then Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city he proclaimed. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God and declared a fast, all of them from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast herd or flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. When I read this, um, when I, uh, chapter 3, um, I wasn't expecting to do any more than chapter 2 when, when I was first asked, but then th th this came along. And when I read it, I couldn't help but think of, there's a his book, uh, 126, and the first verse reads like this. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease, we who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. I thought that the hymn's message, if, if, I hope we'll sing it at the end, the hymn's message is at the very heart of Jonah chapter 3. Uh, when we were looking at chapter 2, if you remember, we saw that Jonah was a sign. He, 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 and this sign that he was pointed to 800 years later, and it tells of repentance and forgiveness of sins to be preached in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I'm sure you do, Richard showed us uh, that video that reminded us that, that the New Testament was a collection of reliable documents. It's important. It's, rely it's reliable, the New Testament. It was written by witnesses, eyewitnesses. And one of the important matters that they recorded when they, when they, what they witnessed was that prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the New Testament in their day and they could point to them and say, this is what the prophets prophesied and now you see it before your eyes, as it were. For instance, in our, in our case, Matthew 12, 39 reads like this, and this is Jesus speaking, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, 
so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So as we come now, we return to Jonah. I don't know if you remember, those of you here, we left him on the beach after his ordeal in the fish's belly. That was following his failed attempt to run away from the Lord. The Lord who had said to him, Go, arise to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for it, their evil has come up before me. That's chapter 1, verse 2. And I said then, then, Solomon in his Proverbs wrote this, he wrote, Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. And that Jonah found out, that's what Jonah found. Stern discipline leaves, when you leave the path that the Lord has set you on, uh, you need to beware. It can be very stern, as it was in Jonah's case. Alistair Begg wrote, God is more concerned with your Christ-likeness than with your comfort. God is more concerned with your Christ-likeness than your comfort. And he says, often more spiritual progress is made through disappointment and failure than through success and laughter. And so this is what Jonah learned. Jonah did learn, he did learn uh, by the severe discipline that God put him through. I trust this is true of you. God works in your life. He deals with you, actually deals with you in the events of life. And you are aware that it's God dealing with you. Um, have you repented? Did you turn like Jonah did? Are you ready both to desire and to do what pleases the Lord? This has to be our objective, our goal in life, to both desire and do what pleases the Lord. So as we turn to chapter 3, Jonah's now restored to the land of the living. Uh, and we can see now, if we follow through chapter 3, we can see what happens when we run with the Lord rather than away from him. Because this is, this is truly significant. How gracious our God is. Mm. Um, the prayers that we've heard already today uh, and, we, and the hymns that we've sung. Uh, our God is merciful and gracious. His, his thoughts are not like our thoughts. Uh, we're so, in, as we think of Jonah, we're, we're so ready to give up on people. Um, especially when they fail. We give up on people. We even give up on ourselves when we fail. We haven't got the courage to turn back sometimes to God. I think sometimes we're like, I can remember my children, we're like Winnie the Pooh's friend Eeyore. I'm sure you all know Eeyore. Everything's down, everything's low, everything's looking black. But this is not how it, hit, how it is if you repent and turn to the Lord. Mm. This is not, not how I, this is Jonah, you see. Jonah's back. And if you remember, this is the, 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 the big message, one of the big messages of chapter three. Uh, there's an ex, a really good example in, in, in the New Testament, uh, in the church at Corinth. There was a situation in the church at Corinth which the church was failing to deal with. A member had sinned in a way not even tolerated by the pagans. And the Apostle Paul, they didn't deal with it. The Apostle Paul had to write to them and tell them to deal with it. And he writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, expel the wicked man from among you. So they do this. They do what uh, the, pro, the, the, the Apostle instructs them to. But then, this is, this is the important thing. Again, like that, the man, when the man repented, like Jonah did, 
Paul has to write to them again, because again they fail to deal with the situation. And he writes this time, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you ought to forgive and comfort him, so that he won't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. God is a merciful God, and he restores us when we repent. Mm. And we need to remember this, and we need to behave toward one another in like manner. So we see here, we see the Lord extending his kindness to Jonah, like he did to Peter when he had that catastrophic fall. But he's restored, he's brought back. So Jonah is back. Um, and this is how it can be with all of us. This is how, there's, um, I don't know if any of you know Paul Tripp's writings, or sermons even. He wrote this, the goodness of the Lord frees you from being imprisoned by past regret, paralysed by present doubt, and crippled by future fear. Mm-hmm. God never gives up on his people. Our God is gracious and merciful. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that God will restore you to the position he wanted you in when he, when, when, when he set you on, on the road? Or are you imprisoned by past regret? or paralysed by a present doubt, or even crippled by future fear. Cast all that away and, and, and return to the Lord. This is how um, wonderful our gracious God is. So now we can say about Jonah, the prophet's prayer was heard, you remember, and he didn't drown. And then he was preserved in the fish's belly. But now, He's actually restored to service. This is the wonderful thing about this, this book. Jonah is restored to service. God does really forget. He never holds against us what we've done in the past. Have you fallen? So then have you repented? Are you back? Maybe, one of, maybe somebody sits here and you've never come to the Saviour. You hear the Gospel week by week maybe. Well, the other, the, what I have to say is just to intervene, as it were, and say at this point, see how gracious the Lord is. Don't delay. See how graciously he deals with his servant Jonah. And he waits to give you life through his gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's as if the Lord says to Jonah, let's start again. So we're going to start again. And now for Jonah to start again... Uh, that, that meant arise and go to this city of Nineveh. Now, not that I read Hebrew, but I read those, I, I, I get my information from those that do. Uh, it, the verse in, in the Hebrew reads like this, the great city to God of Nineveh. So this is significant, just adding those, that little word in there. So arise and go to the great city to God of Nineveh. Whatever Joseph thought about Nineveh, and if you go on into chapter 4, you'll find he didn't think much of it at all. He wasn't at all pleased that God sent him there. Um, but he didn't think much of Jonah. But what this shows us, this verse, is that the city meant a great deal to God. And that's a significant thing. The city of Nineveh meant something to God. <laughs> I was thinking about this. So, so does, when you read something like that, does, does it make you think? So what does God think of painting? Or what does he think of Torbay? You got, we, must, we must bring the scripture to bear, as it were, on our situation. Nineveh is, 
thousands of miles away, uh, not significant to us, but Payton is, Torbay is. So what does God think of, of Torbay? If we could give a personal illustration, when, when the first lockdown, what, two, two years ago, round about now, wasn't it? Two years ago, um, uh, when the, the lockdown came, um, life had been quite hectic from my point of view, and I, I have to confess, when everything stopped, uh, the break was a rest. I, I thought it was a rest. You may, you may not think that I shouldn't have done, but I did anyway. But then as time went on, and the COVID lockdowns taught, I thought they, many things we learned, I hope, of God's dealings with it. But one thing I learned was that although I lived in Paynton, we spent a lot of time elsewhere. I was forced now to be alongside the people where I lived. And surely God was saying to me, Paynton was where I put you, and like Nineveh, Paynton matters to God. So this is where I should be. This is where I should work for God. So do you think like that? Where you live, your street, your road, your area, do you think in terms of it matters to God? It's significant. It's significant to him. Just like uh, Jonah had to learn that Nineveh mattered to God. So we start again. Chapter 3, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Now I was reading one man on, uh, and he's a link. I, I met him a few times. Um, he's, he's a really good linguist. He started Bible, Bible schools in, in Uganda and I think the other one in Malawi. And, and they were very successful in training ministers uh, to, to get the gospel into the, those, those areas. And he wrote about, about Jonah. Uh, and he said this, he said, little distinctions in the Hebrew Bible often mean a lot. Jonah's new commission is almost the same as the one that God first gave him. Almost. I don't know if you've read it. Have you read chapter 3? <laughs> or oh, we'd have to read chapter uh, 1 as well. Um, but there's the change of one letter makes all the difference. On the first occasion, God told Jonah to cry against the city. Now he tells him to try out to cry out to the city. It's not that the Lord has changed his mind. Uh, he must still begin with the same message of judgment in denouncing their sin. But Jonah's own experience speaks out of the possibility of forgiveness and restoration. His very presence means that. And the blessing of the Lord after condemnation, as it were, whether he likes it or not, Jonah, in his own life experience, shouts out to the people of Nineveh, look at me, look at me, look what God's done to me, look how God has restored me, me, I, I who was running away from him, refusing to do his will. He says, look at me, forgiveness and restoration is possible, even for those who disobey and run from God. Jonah's very presence was this sign that Jesus speaks of, a message of hope to the city of Nineveh. And that's how our message should sound. It all should sound like a message of hope. What we have to preach, and we have to, just as loudly it, it should preach forgiveness and, and remission of sins through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So do you get the picture? God let Jonah run 
God let Jonah run. Nothing happens outside of his, uh, of, of his providential ways. God let Jonah run in order to be a sign, and he was to be a sign of restoration and forgiveness, a sign of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Both Jonah and Jesus descended into the abyss, as we looked briefly at when we looked at chapter 2. But then, in some speech like this, God, as it were, opens their graves, they swing open, and they can carry on proclaiming the gospel. So now Jonah's on the move. He's, he's, he's back, if you like, on the job. He's, he's off to the city that's of such significance to God. And that's what we have to do. So if you think like this, I was thinking, whether God has placed us in a great city or a small town or a village, or you think of your district or the road where you live, for us, it's not so much um, the greatness of the place, but our, the, our greatness is in the commission. We have a great commission. And so, because we are told to go to all the world and preach the gospel, there is nowhere that is so insignificant that the gospel shouldn't be preached there. This is, this is our commission. That's why this hymn kept going through, as I was preparing this, this hymn, this song kept going through my mind. We face a task unfinished that should drive us to our knees. So as we think, think of, of our task, there's, there's, there's three things I ought to say, um, think, three things to note in the way that we're not like Jonah. We don't wait for a special word from God. We don't, need, we don't have to go and stay 40 days and 40 nights. I've heard people preach. I have to confess I've heard people preach and actually say 40 days and 40 nights, this, that and the other happen. This is, not, this, is not, this is not the Bible. We don't wait for a special revelation. We know what to say. We have a commission. Uh, we have to say repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name now. Not in 40 days' time, now. Because it says in another place in Corinthians, Paul writes and says, now is the favourable time. Now is the day of salvation. That's the first thing. Second, a promise that, that, that a multitude that no man can number, save from every nation, will be filled with, without our help. God is a sovereign God. He works. And he will, he will perform that which is in his mind and his will, and it will happen. But as one man wrote, we have the privilege of spreading the good news of Jesus wherever we are, whatever our gifts. And this, this is what we're called to do. And then third, everything we need for the unfinished task is found in the word of God. Everything. It's, it's complete. It's total. It's perfect. Mm. It's right for faith and practice, as one of our creeds says. So, when it preaches... He obeys the Lord and we read, this is, this, is, this is the wonder of this chapter. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and put on sackcloth. How amazing is this? This is, this is the wonder of, we have to, to admit when we see it, aren't you, aren't you sometimes really surprised? You pray about a situation and then God works. But why are you surprised? Why are we like this? It's, it's this hidden 
sort of doubts that arise in our hearts. Why are we surprised when God really does work? If we give a, a, another personal example, my Jean, my, my wife's my, my, my wife's mother spent well over 25 years, I can't remember the exact number of years, wheelchair bound. She was very ill and in a wheelchair for many years. But when we were converted, all of my sisters and, and various friends, all at the same time, so was Jean's mother. And she had a wonderful testimony in spite of her illness and her incapacity to do much. Um, and Jean's father took early retirement to care for her, which he did wonderfully well. But sadly, he was not a believer. And Jean and I would visit most Saturdays. Jean would sit with Mum. I would take Dad to his local for a pint and listen to his tales about the, his, his time in the Navy in the, in the Second World War. He started, and then in his life, he started off. In, he was down the mines at 13. He was a coal miner, led a very difficult, had a very difficult youth, but then he, he got away from that. And by the time I, we, I met him, met Jean and his... Uh, and her father. He was a skilled uh, engineer at Rolls-Royce Aero Division on, the, on their helicopters. He was a skilled man. He'd done wonderf be wonderfully well, but he would be so bitter. He was a successful man. He'd done very well from, from when you think of his roots. Um, but, the, but the condition of his dear wife and you can't blame him, he was bitter, he wasn't a believer. Um, and he would say, uh, if I were Joyce, that's Jean's mum, I would top myself. He was that unhappy about his dear wife's condition. But then he had a stroke and he couldn't look after his wife like he did. And he just couldn't manage anymore and that's what led us to coming to Paynton. And not long after we arrived here, six months or so, Jean died. Jean's mum died. And before the funeral took place, we found her testimony written out uh, of her conversion back in the 60s when we all came to know the Lord. Um, and, it, and it had a, I read it at the funeral, and it had a tremendous effect on the congregation, not least on Jack, on her, on her, her husband. And from that day, he started to attend Sunday worship. And Gene, uh, well, he did as long as, as, as long as he was physically able. It didn't last that long where his, his dementia had got so bad that he couldn't, he couldn't come to church. But Gene would read the Bible to him and pray with him. And we watched him change. Instead of bitterness, we'd hear him sing and we'd hear him pray. It, so we say to ourselves, why? Are we surprised when God mm. answers our prayers? We, 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 we have an amazing God. <clears throat> and he, or he was maybe in his mid-90s when, when we suddenly realised, we start to realise this, this man has completely changed. His whole attitude was different. And, and he lived to be a hundred. We looked after him for many a year. <laughs> and he lived to be a hundred. And you say to yourself, how amazing. But why do we think it's amazing? This is, this is the way our God works. He's a merciful God, kind. And so um, we, sh we shouldn't be surprised. God sent his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to save sinners. 
Would you think he would be unsuccessful? Would you think the Lord Jesus Christ would be unsuccessful? So we read, the Ninevites, from the greatest to the least, believe in God. The gospel is no respecter of persons. It gets to you wherever you are. Mm. Remember, it says it in the Revelation, it's whosoever will may come and take of the water of life freely. No holes barred, no small print, nobody excluded. Whosoever will may come and take of the water of life freely. Whether you deal in money in the city of London, as people I know did and do, or drugs in the ghettos and the, and the communes, that um, the gospel speaks to all. I say that because uh, um, about the middle of last year, or end of the summer perhaps, we were at an outreach uh, work at, at my sister's church uh, in, in Wales. And each evening before the gospel was preached, uh, the preacher would interview someone who had been saved by the Lord Jesus. Um, it was a wonderful time. One was a drug dealer, this is why I picked on it. One was a drug dealer and one was the CEO of a private bank whose customers had to be at least millionaires to qualify for being in the bank. That's what they dealt with. Uh, it was a private bank set up to make money for people who've got money. That, that's the way the city works. Um, um, God's word of truth cut, can cut into anyone's heart. We, 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 I don't have the time to say this, we, we, we went from the drug dealer he, he was travelling back from London, having got a new consignment of drugs. On his way back, he was a Welshman, on his way back to Wales. And he was thinking to himself, how beautiful the countryside was. It was a beautiful day, a nice day, and he was thinking, somebody must have made this. This is a man who knows nothing about scripture. He, he's not been to church. Nobody's spoken to him, no friend or anything. This is what he thought, he said. And then, so he said, perhaps I ought to get a Bible and see... What, what that says about the one who made everything. He gets a Bible, he reads it, and he's saved without any intervention of anybody. This is, this is how amazing the gospel is to cut through to whatever lifestyle you've got. Now, when it comes to the banker, I've known him all his life. I remember him being born. Uh, and he rose to tremendous prominence in the, in the city and, and literally made millions. And... About eight years ago, in the middle of all his success, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given 18 months to live. And although he knew the gospel, he'd known it for years through his family and for all of us at church, um, he, it was amazing that we should be there listening to this man interview these people, and we knew this, 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 um, one, this man in, in particular. And he, he gave up all everything in the city, and de he said, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life, which is supposed to be eight months long, uh, to serving the Lord in whatever way I can put my money to. And he's still alive eight years later, and he's had some wonderful experiences of, of, of the grace of God at work. One of the ones that I, one of my favourites is, he, because, he was a, because he was a wealthy man, he had a box, at, and he was a Watford Football Club supporter, sorry about it. <laughs> um, he, 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 he got the, um, the, the club, they were playing Liverpool, so it was a full capacity crowd, 
and he got the club to let him give his testimony at half time to the whole 20,000 people. <laughs> and he did, and it, it, we heard it, it was wonderful. And, he, and that's how he spent the rest of his time. That's how the gospel cuts through. They say it doesn't matter whether you're a banker or whether you're a drug dealer. The gospel is the all-powerful word of our Lord Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. I could go, I have to move. So, of Nineveh, we read, the news reached the king, and he rose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When I read this, and I think, well, so a question comes into your mind. You're thinking, so where did the king of Nineveh get the idea that God might be merciful? What made him think like that? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, certainly not in their culture. Uh, why did he say, who knows? God may relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Clearly, it wasn't his own idea. The Ninevites were cruel. They were a cruel nation. If, if you know the Old Testament, you, you may remember that uh, the Lord speaks and some of the, through some of his prophets, like Jeremiah and the like, how cruel the Babylonians were, which were all from, from the, that particular area. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the Ninevites were, were, were a cruel nation. And it's interesting that after using a general term that the city should repent, he said, let everyone turn from his evil way. That's what the king said. Let everyone turn from his evil way. He then singles out one sin from the violence that's in his hands. They were a violent lot. Um, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and, no, and they were notorious for, the, for their, the, the brutality of their treatment of other nations. And we watch this on our television, don't we? We watch this on our television each day, how one nation can brutally uh, deal with other nations. About a hundred years after the, after Jonah, uh, when God again warned the Ninevites, the Ninevites just went back to their old ways, even though God spared them. This, this is what's amazing, how um, God is so kind. Um, so having delivered them, and you're not, he didn't bring anything of the judgment that he'd spoken about upon Nineveh, but a hundred years later he warned them again because they'd gone back to their own ways. This time through the prophet Nahum, you can read that. Um, but this time Nineveh didn't repent. They stuck to their old ways. And so God brought the Babylonians, God brought an even cruel nation upon them and dealt with them. But this king is different. I've said that because just to sort of highlight the fact, this king is different. You say to yourself, well, he must have learned the nature of the living God from Jonah. Because remember Jonah's words when he was in the fish? He said, what I have vowed... I will make good. 
So is Val was served the Lord, I can't do it now. If you go further back and go into, I think it's Kings, but I can't remember the chapter. Uh, God used Jonah in, in a, on a previous occasion. So God, uh, Jonah knew uh, God's ways and word. Um, so I can, I can only assume that uh, the king learned from Jonah uh, the nature of, something of the nature of God. Now, because Jonah's message, like ours, is not only one of judgment to come for sinners, but supremely is a message of mercy. If, if you go to Isaiah chapter 28, we won't turn to it in time, but in Isaiah chapter 28, there's, there's a whole list of how God is going to deal with, with the people in judgment. But at one point, uh, the prophet speaks of judgment being God's strange work. It's almost as if, as I understand the language, as if it's alien to God to judge. He, he will do it because he is just and he's righteous and his wrath is, is, is engaged when people disobey him. But it's alien to his nature, if you like, because the prophet Micah tells us the Lord delights to show mercy. Judgment is alien, but he will do it if, we, if we're so obstinate. So we will throw Adam and Eve out of the garden and he will deal with his son drastically when our sins are laid upon him. But what he really delights in is mercy. And that must have come across in, in Jonah's speaking and the king believed it. If it weren't for the, for the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ pictured here in Jonah in this line, our message would be completely judgmental. That's what we would have to say. You've sinned, that's it. Complete judgment. The, the death of the Lord Jesus even, without his resurrection, would be, be as one of the old pop songs, a, a road to nowhere. It would take you nowhere at all. In, offer no hope. But now, by Jesus' resurrection, pictured by Jonah coming out of, uh, out, being saved out of the sea, the, the Lord declares he intends to bless us, offering us life now and life eternally uh, with him. So Jonah restored means that the love of God is offered to people and uh, to the king of Nineveh and his people. So we see in the final verse of chapter 3, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So not just words, they actually did something, they actually repented, action. Like John the Baptist said to um, the Pharisees when they were um, pretending, pretending to be paying attention to his preaching, he said, go and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Well, this the Ninevites did. That's what they did. They heard and, and, they, and they took on board what the message had to say. Um, and this is what we have to say. We've, you know, we've been doing this Christianity Explored course, and I'm reading the, uh, the, the leader's book for, for the first time. I've never done this before. I'm reading the, the, the leader's book, and it says, expect dramatic results. <laughs> expect. The thing is, when you come to work for the Lord, do you expect dramatic results? I said to myself, do I expect dramatic results? But that's what they said, expect dramatic results. And they give us an example in, in the book. Uh, something that the Lord Jesus Christ said. And he said, Jesus said this, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? 
Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed which we've sown in the ground. It's the smallest of seeds. It's a tiny little seed. Like, that is the gospel. You see, remember, he's lightening the gospel. What's the gospel like? It's like a tiny little seed. You only, you only may have a, one word, one opportunity to say something to your neighbour on, on once upon a time. Somebody said just one word to me, and I never could get it out of my head after that. Never. Once I knew what it, what, what it was. He says, when it's grown up, it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in it. We face a task unfinished. I hope we'll sing this in, in a minute or two. But we are not, we, we cannot be downhearted. For we, unlike Jonah even, we have the complete gospel. We have all of God's word. We have everything we need to declare how merciful and gracious our God is. And whoever repents, whoever turns to the Lord with faith, and good works will indeed be saved. I could say we could say more, but we 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 can say more certainly about this that compared with Joseph, because we're assured that when the Lord Jesus Christ died for sinners, he paid our debt of sin, as his father promised, never to condemn us again. This, this, this is the, one of the, the amazing things about Scripture. It says, of us, Paul writes, there is no, now no condemnation. God treats us as if we're perfect. In Christ, that's what we are. And not only that, he, he tells us that the perfect life of our Lord Jesus Christ lived on earth will be reckoned to our account if we believe in him and that he rose from the dead to prove it. God raised his son, the Lord Jesus, raised, was raised to life to show us that all the words that he spoke were absolutely true. Our sins are forgiven, so if you're a sinner and you've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ, be assured that there's forgiveness in the Saviour because he rose from the dead. He now lives uh, forever. And this is the hope that we have to declare to everyone. So we, in this... Um, uh, we have a hope um, that no mortal can measure. I think that's another song. I can't remember what song it is, but just thought to be then. We have a hope which no mortal can measure. That's our, that's our song. Uh, and that's why I wanted to finish with uh, the hymn I quoted right at the beginning. But I wanted, the, I wanted, if, I wanted to have the, the Getty version.